As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Blog Talk Radio. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious sh- Welcome to Punch Drunk Critics Live. It is Sunday, uh, someday in August, August 19th. Um, 19th. <laughs> God damn, man. Is the summer really gone already? It is over and done with, man. You should have you should have been able to tell that by the quality of movies. Steadily, yeah. Steadily going down. <laughs> yeah, there, there, there's, so close. there's definitely a cliff um, after the peak of movies in like uh, the 4th of July weekend, maybe even mid-July, where it just goes... Downhill. I mean, you do get a gem, uh, one, a couple of which we'll probably talk about tonight. Yeah. But. yeah, I should take that back. It's not true. Uh, the quality of movies doesn't go down. The blockbuster nature of movies goes down. Uh, it's more more like what it is. So, like There, aren't, there aren't really any blockbusters left. Uh, this is probably the last week of a semi-blockbuster. So, And from here on, we're starting to uh, creep our way towards the, the, uh, the uh, fall season and uh, Oscar contenders. Yeah, so it's going to get real busy for us real quick, I can tell you that much. Um, do, you, do you think this, you know, everybody thinks that the movies in August and, and even into September aren't as good as what we see earlier? Like, you kind of leave the not quite good enough for May, June to uh, August. Uh, is that just because we're used to seeing the movies they spent $300 million on, or so our expectations are higher? Or is it really that there's lower quality movies later on? Do you mean lower quality movies later on in the year? Or just no, the, the rest of the summer season. Like this weekend, we're, we're oh, blessed to talk okay. about a couple movies that were good. I thought. Um, okay. Yeah. No, I, I think they we t- we tend to see uh, studios blow their wad fairly early on with the with the bigger movies. And like we said uh, a few minutes ago, it's, it's not the quality that goes down. It's just some are are destined to be bigger hits than others and are promoted as such, mm-hmm. um, whereas other movies just aren't. Like a movie like Paranorman, which is which is a great movie, but uh, you know it's not going to get promoted or or have the same. It's not going to have the same level of reach as a as a movie like The Dark Knight Rises or or even The Expendables Two. So it's just it's just one of those things that happens when the summer creeps to a close. Right. Um, so Paranorman is one of the movies we're going to be talking about today. We actually have an interview uh, to play for you guys with the uh, directors of the film, Chris Butler and Sam Fell. Um, yeah. You know, we got Paranorman this weekend and Frank and Weenie coming up soon. Um, is this a trend towards uh, darker? 
animation type kids movies? I mean, I know it's only two movies, but that's two more than we've seen in a long time. I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I would say that. Uh, stop motion is such a unique genre. You just don't get very many people that 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 commit themselves to it because it's such a grueling process. Mm-hmm. Uh, stop motion is, is is unlike anything else out there. Um, I mean, if, if for those who don't know what it is, basically for every single movement uh, that any of the characters make, you have to have somebody physically move the character. You have mm-hmm. to model. You have to you have to model these characters, build the models for everything, and move, do a physical movement for every single thing they do. It's just it's such a grueling process. You have to be a really specific kind of person to dedicate yourself to stop motion. Um, so I don't I don't I don't necessarily think that we're going to see like this trend towards more stop motion, but I think we are going to see a trend towards better stop motion. Um, yeah, I, the, I mean the guys at Leica who who did Paranorman uh, also did Coraline, and mm-hmm. Coraline was. Uh, I was lukewarm on it the first time I saw it, but since then I've I've come around to thinking that it really is a great movie, and I actually think uh, they've at least matched that with Paranorman. Yeah, um, stop, you know, not to go back a step, uh, stop motion is probably the only medium in film that hasn't uh, received any technology upgrades in the last uh, hundred years. Uh, I mean, think think about going back to the original Mickey Mouse cel-shaded animation where they drew every single frame and then make it even harder because now it's in 3D and you have to move a little character and if it's off a little bit it looks jumpy. It's, I mean, I think everybody should have to go see these movies just to show respect for the work that was put into making them. I mean, it's yeah, ridiculous. No, I, I, I agree with that, but I would disagree with the fact with the idea that they haven't seen any technology upgrades. Uh, look at the stuff that Ray Harryhausen was doing 20, 30 years ago and then oh. compared, to, compared to what people are doing now, it's just it's, it's worlds apart. Yeah, let, let me let me uh, uh, re- rephrase that. <laughs> like, uh, you know, even even hand drawn animation is still done with filler computer bits. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I'm sure they use some computers, but they still have to actually go through the physical motion of drawing each thing over and over, or moving each thing over and over again. It's just it's ridiculous that it, it's. I'm, I'm just glad that there are still people out there that want to make this these type of movies because they do look different and they me are too. unique. Me too. I, I totally agree. Uh, we're we're blessed to have such. Uh, you know, fantastic artists uh, doing these sorts of movies. But let's go ahead and talk about Paranorman uh, okay. now, and then we'll jump into the uh, the interview immediately following that. And then we're going to talk about The Expendables 2 after that, because I know you're dying to talk I, about that I will movie. try to restrain so, myself <laughs> with Van Damme love. I know, you're, sorry, I know you're dying to talk about The Expendables 2. So let's talk about Paranorman now. Uh, All right. Paranorman, Paranorman is a 3D um, stop-motion animated film. And basically, it, it follows uh, one named Norman who lives in this uh, New England town called Blythe Hollow, uh, which has been, uh, which years, hundreds of years earlier, had been this, the place of a, of, a, of a witch hunt, a Salem witch trials type type of event. And they were cursed by by the witches. And ever since then, uh, they've been under this curse. But there's been somebody who's been sort of protecting the town from the curse, making sure that nothing ever comes to pass. Well, that man is now gone, and Norman who's always been sort of like the the, the town oddball, uh, has been selected to be the, the town's new protector. Um, basically, Norman is a kid who sees dead people, you know, just like the sixth sense kind of. He, he sees spirits, communicates with the dead. Uh, so everybody thinks he's a little bit creepy. Uh, he's bullied in school uh, by a guy who, uh, voiced by Christopher Mintz which is which is interesting considering mm-hmm. he used to be McLovin, the ultimate nerd. Right. Uh, yeah, and he's kind of—he actually fits the the voice work perfectly there. Um, 
But yeah, so he sees dead people and all that stuff. Everybody thinks he's weird, including his parents. Uh, but of course, the town comes crawling to him when uh, the curse begins to take hold and zombies begin walking, walking the town. Uh, and that's basically the gist of it. And it, what you get here is kind of a, a Scooby Gang type mystery uh, slash adventure with Norman, his sister, uh, a, a town jock, and a bully all gathering together to try and put this put this close this curse to an end. Um, I really, I, I, I probably hinted that already, uh, but I really love Paranorman. Uh, not just because of the things Leica does with the, uh, the animation, which I think is truly groundbreaking. Uh, the amount of stuff they put on screen is just incredible, um, for a stop motion film. We usually see those things done in bare bones format and, and that includes the Tim Burton movies just because it's so difficult, but they, they put a lot of stuff on screen here. But I also think it's really funny and heartwarming and endearing in a lot of cases. Uh, and, of course, it's it's classic horror movie monster style, which is something that I really love. That's that's what pulled me in and held me right there. Um, I remember, to you know, to like a month ago, I guess it was, where that uh, Frankenweenie 50s sci-fi-ish trailer came out. Yeah. Um, and that's just like my my favorite thing at Disney World was always a fifty sci fi diner. Uh, you know that 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 fifties era film where they did you know the monster will eat you and then it comes out and, and blinks. I always loved that like the Universal Monsters era, the werewolf Dracula, and right. and this manages. I I still don't understand how you can write this and and have it be as balanced as it is because it, it hits all the right notes there, but at the same time, it, it, it remains scary or not scary dark I'd say, but still lighthearted enough for you know kids over eight i'd say i i think a lot of it is lighthearted enough uh for kids it, it does get very dark towards the end um and i was actually surprised at how uh, the kind of a turn yeah. it take uh so i think kids might be a little if if not scared i don't know if they'll be scared of that part but they may not understand it they may mm. not understand uh the ramifications of everything that's going on in some of those final moments but there's so much humor in this movie and there's such it touches on so many themes. You know, you got the classic themes of uh, you know, being your own person and and finding your finding your niche and being an individual and, and stuff like that. Those are sort of universal themes uh, right. that this movie really touches on. Uh, but it does it in a way that's fresh and kind of uh, comes from a different angle than you would normally expect. It, doing a zombie movie for kids is, is it has to be tough, but I think they really kind of nailed it. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's that's. You know, I, I hate to say it again when I haven't said that much, but the balance in it is what surprised me the most. It, it's an, it's enjoyable for me, but I, I'm kind of an anomaly because I I'll, I'll watch regular kids' movies and enjoy them, but I can yeah. also watch like I would say adult movies. That wouldn't be right. Uh, Grown up movies and uh, enjoy, enjoy those just as much. So and I don't you watch really those need... too. You watch? Oh those yeah, too. well, well, of course. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, it, it, <laughs> so I, I'm going to enjoy it regardless. But I can still I, that's how prominent it is. I can still tell that you know kids. We'll, we'll get it if they're if not a little bit scared at the end. Maybe you need to know your kid before you bring them. Um, but you know, right. parents could even watch this if by themselves and, and still have a good time. Yeah, I agree. There's a lot of uh, uh, mature humor in there as well, especially when it comes to uh, uh, Norman's parents, uh, who are voiced by Leslie Mann and and Jeff Garland uh, from Curb Your Enthusiasm. I think I there's some guy. really yeah, I know me too. I think there's some really nice uh, nice scenes between Norman and his parents. Later on, we get kind of a uh, a, a sweet resolution to their little storyline. I, I just think there's a lot of things this movie does really well, from the animation to the voice work. Um, Norman is voiced by Cody Smith McPhee, who uh, many were, remember from The Road and uh, and Hugo. Mm-hmm. Hugo, yeah, it was Hugo. Um, it was kind of funny at Comic Con was uh, people were asking him to do the voice, the Norman voice, 
and he his voice dropped in the middle of the of, oh. uh, filming. So he, he had to kind of wing it towards the end there. Uh, I couldn't tell any changes during the movie. I couldn't tell, but they said he couldn't he couldn't re he couldn't redo the voice now if he wanted to. See, that's one of those things that you wouldn't think about in pre-production but would screw you in the end, especially like a stop-motion film. Everybody knows animation takes longer than regular film to shoot. It's stop-motion even longer. Um, you know, I suppose the, the voice actors come in and, and do their thing all in one shot, but still, put, putting this entire movie on your main character being a kid that's near pu- puberty, <laughs> kind of yeah. risky. But <laughs> no, I agree. But, but I yeah, agree. I, I honestly didn't didn't even know. I couldn't tell any any difference throughout the movie uh, until I listened to the interview that we'll be playing here in a couple minutes where, they, where you guys actually talk about that. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, the other voice work was done by Anna Kendrick, who I think we both love. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, we'll talk about her later on in the news segment. Um, uh, Casey Affleck, who was great. And uh, and once again, Christopher Mintz-Plassey, I thought was a brilliant and inspired casting as the bully. I I, I love the way his career is sort of taken a, taken a funny turn. Uh, you kind of expect him to do nothing but play the nerd after, after kick-ass and role models. But he's mm-hmm. kind of made it. He's somehow transitioned out of that really, really easily, uh, more so than I think a lot of other people have. Yeah, I, I never. Uh, I, I would have thought as soon as I saw him on um, Superbad, the the, fir- the first word that came to my mind was typecast. I knew this kid. Dude, he was funny enough. That, that's a kickass, didn't I? Well, yeah, he oh, was well, a kickass. Same though, thing but yeah, yeah, but it was super, it was Superbad that made me that really pigeonholed him as the nerd guy. But right. uh, that's the movie I meant to mention. I mean, he hasn't come too far away from it, and and you know the the public conscience on on nerdery is, has changed a bit. But you know he he has grown out of that a little bit. He's Nerd- not still the squeaky nerdery. Nerdery word. That word? It, it is on this show. We make up okay. our own words. Okay, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but no, I I mean I I really really dug it. I, it. What really got me after everything else was the look of it. Like it, even the stop motion, which usually anybody that's seen. Well, really, any of uh, Tim Burton's stop-motion movies, um, like Nightmare Before Christmas, um, any of the Ray Harryhausen stuff, like Clash of the Titans back in the day, not the new one. Um, you notice it's a little jerky. I thought this was a lot smoother than than um, most stop-motion that I've seen, and that just shows technically how much they how much work they put into it. Yeah. Uh, talking to uh, Travis Knight, or at least listening to him talk at Comic-Con, you can tell uh, these guys didn't sleep a whole lot of nights. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> when they were making this movie, but it's been a process for a long time, as as I'm sure we'll hear during the interview. So, but o- overall, Paranorman, um, I absolutely love this movie. Uh, I think I gave it a four out of five. I think it's one of the best animated movies of the year, if not the best one we've seen so far. Um, so that's my score for it. four out of five for Paranorman. I hope everybody goes to see it. Yeah, I'm right with you. Um, you know, my my score might be a little bit uh, um, elevated because it's right, like I said, in my wheelhouse. I, you know, I love the old horror that it kind of pulls back on. I love the animation, so um, it might be a little bloated score, but I I, I got to give it a four out of five. It was it was. I, I can't really remember the other animated movies that came out this year, but this is the one that sticks out in my head as being the best. Well, Brave came out this year. Brave, yeah, but this is better than Brave, I think. Oh, it's definitely better than Brave. Uh, I I thought Brave was it was disappointing. That just shows you because I couldn't remember it came out this year. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. Yeah, but uh, let's let's go to the interview with uh, with uh, Chris with Samfell and uh, and Chris Butler. Um, yeah, because I had a chance to talk to them a few weeks ago. God, it's been that long already. Yes, yeah, it has been a few weeks. Uh, so I talked to Chris Butler and Samfell, and and uh, and they're a couple of great guys. Uh, you can tell these are two people who are in love with the format, the stop motion format. Um, but they're also just you know. They're they're lovers of animation of any kind and and, and really good storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I, I, when I talked to them, I wanted to find out kind of about the development of the film and and uh, and just how long it takes to make a movie like Paranorman. I hate saying this because it just seems so sad. About 16 years ago, I started. Um, no, I, I came, that's when the original concept came from. You know, it was it was a seed of an idea, and that was the John Carpenter meets John Hughes. And I thought it would be cool to do a zombie movie for kids because it hadn't been done. Thankfully, it hasn't been done in the 16 years it took But yeah, it wasn't something that I was working on every day. It was just like this Scooby-Doo-esque supernatural adventure um, that I just kept going back to because I'm always kind of writing stuff. And mm-hmm. yeah, I just kept going back to it. And then when I was working on Coraline, I would tell a story on that movie. And um, it was Henry Selick actually said, have you got anything? And I had the first 30 pages written, and the rest was just in, in scribbled note form. And he gave that to Travis Knight, the CEO of the company, and also animator on Paranormal. And he read it and he said, yeah, I want to go with this. So then I had to go home every night and finish writing it <laughs> for the next couple of weeks. But it was, um, yeah, we just went straight into it. So it was just a, a couple of us to start off with. It was me, the producer, Ariane Sotner, and and um, yeah, we just we just went straight into it, and then and Sam came across. Yeah, I came along. Uh, so Caroline was done. The studio had slowed down. They had a number of things in development. Uh, they brought me over to just come and have a look at see what see what was going on there. You know, um, I was sort of I was fascinated by Leica and by Coraline. You know, it just seemed like such a, it's like a like a beacon of weirdness yeah. in the world. <laughs> Uh, and I met Chris and saw his projects, and he you know, told me about uh, you know, John Carpenter, John Hughes, Scooby Doo, you know, just everything he was saying was just exciting to me because they were all movies that I loved mm-hmm. and that time. And then so we, we spent about six, probably six months again, not every day, but just talking to each other and just seeing if we could work together, if I could help, or you know, if I could get involved, how I could get involved. Uh, and you know, we really hit it off, and we found we shared, uh, really shared the same vision. You know, so it would be possible for us to sort of co-direct the movie. I think that was vital. Yeah. That we knew exactly what movie we were making yeah. right from day one. And it was because it's done it so much. You know, in that in that long slow period, you know, <laughs> that it, it's good because you get to sort of go up a blind alley or figure try this or try that, and it's well explored. So it's good for me coming in because I, you know, I've been in development on feature films myself. You know, and I know that process. But it's just slow. You do. You just go over here and you make mistakes and I, you know and I felt like I was excited because I felt like I wasn't done all that hard work actually <laughs> 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 so we sort of done the blind alley thing but it's uh, definitely a, a pet peeve of mine having worked in the story departments on a bunch of animated movies it's, it's, it's a common thread that you start production on, a, on an animated movie and you don't even have an ending yeah, and you true. just kind of try yeah. desperately to find it before you shoot it. Yeah, or you've got to figure out what the central character's yeah. arc is, you know. Yeah. Is that because they take so long yeah. to do that yeah. you just kind yeah. of, but as soon as you get the idea, you just kind of got to get, yeah, jump say, right into yeah, it. You it think it's probably that. Yeah, they think it's probably that. It constantly needs feeding yeah. the, the animated machine. So you start something and then maybe realize it's not working and then you re- it's so common to it, you know you have on every movie it's like the story meltdown we call it where everyone suddenly panics and realizes that the movie they're making is crap and then you, you kind of like, oh, have to <laughs> then fix it yeah, yeah, yeah. You kind of do your best to fix it and we were adamant not to do that so that's why I spent so long on 
the script, probably, because I wanted to make sure that it, it, we did have a story to tell and we knew what that was. I always find it interesting when you have two directors working on a project because you kind of get that that uh, conflict of, of vision. Uh, so I wanted to find out how this worked out for them uh, making Paranorman together. It's that useful, really. I mean, to I mean, every movie has a writer. A lot, a lot of animated movies go through many writers, and they're in, they're out, and many directors sometimes mm -hmm. as well. You know, and so. You know, that's I think where projects get lost. You know, so for me it's great that you know the writer on tap. <laughs> you know, so if I've got questions or suggestions or anything, then you know it was very. We made a very tight team. As we said before, we spent a long time together in a in a room. We had a this kind of war room where we just sat in there and we put up references on the wall. We had the whole movie lined up from minute one through to minute eighty-five, and we would talk about every scene how we would approach the lighting, what kind of movies reference those, those scenes. And so we thrashed out how every single department would approach the story together. And we just, so within that, with the director and the writer, we just had, the, and we were also the heads of story as well, <laughs> and the heads of storyboarders. So we were just between the two of us, we had a super tight team, and, you know, we had all the answers, I think. Between yeah, us. I think by, you know, by the time we got into production, we were both very clear about where we, what we were aiming for. And then, you know, as production goes on and you get more and more, we spent so much time together, you know, we were living in each other's pockets for three years. <laughs> to the point where you can finish each other's sentences, you know what each other likes. Like, I didn't, towards the end, I wouldn't have to be in the same room to sound, but he'd know what I would say to him. Yeah, I'd be yeah. wanting him. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, Chris, I don't know for that. So, you know, you just get so... Yeah, yeah I think it's important. Yeah, together, know. we didn't split the movie up. You know, yeah. sometimes, mm -hmm. they, sometimes one dressed as the front end and the other dressed as the back end, you know, yeah. someone was lighting and someone was story, or, or you do every other scene. But, you know, those, in truth, those films are a bit schizophrenic, you know. You, you do feel disjointed. Yeah, and I can tell you, I can tell films that have been co-directed and you can see this director likes so close and this director should right. be shooting wide <laughs> and, and you can feel it, so... Yeah. So now we um, we were like you know yeah twins really. And the other good thing about about it is these things are such huge monumental juggernauts that sometimes it's a bit overwhelming. And to be able to just go into a room and shut the door and go oh, yeah. to someone else <laughs> rather than just doing it to you. Yeah, yeah, or to just reassure you know go yeah that's cool you know yeah. like, it might feel wrong at the moment but we just need to yeah when you're in a room full of people who are all staring at you wanting a decision and you're very Confidently say yes, it should be this way, and then go in and everywhere and say, "Is that right?" Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, we're right. We're good. Yeah, don't listen to those. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, we really wanted to find out what the uh, how the grueling process of stop motion animated uh, movies work. It can be frustrating. I mean, we had the main crew, so we yeah. didn't really run into too many brick walls. But there's there's definitely uh, it's definitely it's just. It's, sometimes, it's somewhere around the middle that it gets frustrating. You know, so it's three years. You know, the first year is all excitement, it's all ambition, it's all like you know, new horizons and getting exciting and saying we're going to do this, this, and this. Around about the middle, you're like right in the thick of this thing that you've built, this 
this thing that you've built for yourself, fortune <laughs> machine, <laughs> and you've just got a long, there's such a long way to the end and there's such a long way back, you know, yeah. and at that point you've got 50 units running and 300 people. And you can't stop it then. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you, you can't take time off, you know, you have to start at 7.30 in the morning, or what, 12 hour days, and you do that for a year, you know, a year and a half. There are times when stop motion is limiting, and I think generally our approach was to ignore those limitations and do it anyway. Yeah. And I think Leica, the people at Leica, the crew, you know, they were already a skilled bunch when they were hired for Coraline, and now those people are at the top of their game. And it was great to be able to do things that ordinarily you wouldn't be able to do in stop motion, like even the d design of the characters. You know, you, you can't really have puppets with with fat limbs or fat necks and small ankles because it just becomes really they won't hold themselves up. Yeah, yeah. And, and very difficult to animate, move without getting unsightly bulges and stuff. But we had a team that were like, okay, we'll, we'll fix it. We will find a solution, and that seemed to be the approach to everything. We did crowd scenes, big no-no and stop mode because the number of puppets you need to do, but we did it. We just kept pushing and pushing and pushing, and at times you feel those limitations, at times it's frustrating, but then you know with that crew at Leica that we're going to find a solution and we'll get through it, and I think that was it. Yeah, at no point were you yeah. we like head and hands crying. You never had to give up on anything. I no. mean, and it has changed. I mean, this 21st century version of stop frame now has you know, like there's an integrated visual effects department, mm -hmm. you know, so you can shoot green screen if you can't quite get a shot. If, you, if you've got a big set and you need to split it in half so people can get in there, you can shoot the thing in two passes, mm -hmm. you know, we've got repeatable camera moves and, you know, rig removal, you know, so those guys with the small ankles are going to have a big rod coming out of them and someone will paint it out later. Yeah. So, so, yeah, that's very liberating. We were encouraged to aim high, yeah. and I think, I think that in itself just makes you want to keep pushing those boundaries. Yeah, it definitely shows. There's yeah. Okay, that was We always try to design, everything came out of our production designer, you know, so everything, be it CG, uh, visual effects, or stop frame, however it was done, it was all, it all came from the same design mind. Yeah. You know, you know. so even like the storm mm -hmm. in the sky was actually built Initially, it was built out of fabric mm. and, and wire, you know, and lit, so we could like come and look at it and see. And it became CG, but they used that design. They 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 studied that material, physical material, in order to get a look at it. So everything has a consistency to it. But where possible, we try to keep things practical. I mean, Travis uh, animated the the zombies come, coming out of the ground, and you know. He, even the little tiny bits of dirt were hand animated. You know, we, we, so where possible, we tried to do that. He, you know, almost destroyed himself. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's worth it. It's, it's worth it. It has a different aesthetic. Uh, Paranorman features a really fantastic voice cast: uh, Anna Kendrick, Cody Smith, McBee, Casey Affleck, all the way down to Tempest Blood. So yeah, from the Cosby Show. Uh, so I wanted to ask them about that. Uh, but also, there was this rumor going around that uh, there was a scene that took a year to shoot, so I had to find out about that. With the well, with the casting thing, first of all, like one aspect of the casting was that it's an ensemble cast, you know, and uh, it, we didn't want to just start filling in the, the the cast one by one. We wanted them to all work really well together, 
So we did all of our character designs, and we had a sort of short list of actors we thought who would work, and we just played their voices, not from movies, but actually just from interviews and just like box pop type things, so we could actually just hear their real natural voice. We played those voices against our drawings, and you just at some moment the voice just pops with the with the image, you know, like Christopher Mintz that voice next to that bully Alvin's design, it just popped. It just it instantly gave it another dimension. And we purposely tried to do things that you wouldn't expect, like casting McLovin as a bully. Yeah. Where, you know, it, it's not what you would necessarily expect. You talk about Elaine Stritch. Elaine Stritch um, has the kind of voice that you would expect to swear like a sailor, but she played the most <laughs> sentimental scenes with Norman. Yeah. And, and I think that really helped because we were aiming for a naturalism in this thing, a naturalism in performance, certainly. And hearing that, you know, that contrast that just brings it alive. Yeah. Well, it makes it not formulaic. And the story's like that, isn't it? It's like trying to, we're always trying to take your expectations and turn them on their ear a yeah. little bit, you know, mm-hmm. like constantly, like you think you know what a zombie is, you think you know, you know what a dumb jock is, you know, and then things, things there should be another dimension to them to make them more real. Yeah. The uh, but yeah, no. So we we really we we gathered together the cast we thought we needed before everyone we knew who we needed. We brought that down and we were confident because we used to, we would cut all their voices next to each other mm-hmm. so we could hear the music of the group. Uh, and then we went out to the actors uh, and they all said, yeah, you know, which is good. And it was important. I think one thing we talked about very early on was to cast, especially for the two main kids, cast them as kids. I personally don't like adults performing kids' roles. I think you can see through it or hear through it. Um, and so we knew, we'd seen the road, and we knew Cody Smith McPhee would be able to carry this because he's a phenomenal actor. Interestingly enough, he brought so much lightness, you know, comedic stuff to it as well, which was really integral to that character. Um, but being able to record two kids of about the right age together as well, so you get their kind of, they step on each other's lines, they stutter, you, you get the, the naturalism of real talking, it's not, it's not super polished, and that, that was important to our performances as well. Mm-hmm. And then that scene, oh, like, there's, there's probably another scene, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, there's easily things, there's, there's a shot that took a year, yeah. but, uh, but it was our, it was the, the idea was to give individual animators their own scenes to play. Yeah. I mean, often it gets broken up a different way. So you'll have like a whole group of people that just get shots each week, and they'll go and work on this and that and that and that. But just for the sake of continuity, and again, probably because we wanted this sense of naturalism and you know this sort of, re- this sort of not realism, that isn't the right word mm. to to play. Giving it to one person to drive the whole thing, you know, allow them to kind of really handle the continuity, you know, not just the sort of physical continuity of blocking, but also like sort of emotional continuity of, you know, a two-person scene. So yeah, the poor guy Peyton was in this uh, restaurant. Was in the That's the reason you get it. The reason in the bathroom for you. Yeah. <laughs> With a dirty old man. <laughs> 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 you guys are talking about voices. I think Cody said his voice dropped. Yeah, yeah. And he couldn't even re- redo the voice now if he wanted. That last record, I have to keep saying. You know, yeah. It was really tricky. Man, the Comic Con is like, it's like, yeah. 
Uh, a zombie movie for kids has got to be a tough thing to find the right balance of humor and darkness. Uh, so I really wanted to find out how they managed to kind of straddle that line. I personally, a lot of the influences, influences on this are family movies from a different time, which were a little bit more daring, a little bit more irreverent, and I think struck a better balance between humor and emotion and scares. And I think that's, uh, it's missing from a lot of family movies today. Right. Um, so it's definitely something we were aiming for. I think the, the balance, you're always thinking of it when you're, when you're making this. It's a part of the process, we're just always considering who we're making this for. Yeah, scene by scene, you know, over the two and a half years, it's literally, and it's amazing the adjustments that you can make, you know, just with the change of the camera angle or adjusting a lighting or sound. Sound is a big thing as well, you know, like, so, like we, if anything, modulating the tone of the movie, we did a lot of it with sound, you know, but we found at times we were just getting too heavy with the, with the music or the right. effects, and it was really almost oppressive and made the thing one dimensional. You just change the music, it's like, Suddenly it's funny. But, but having said that, we definitely wanted there to be uh, something really at stake in the movie. Yeah. Um, monsters are scary. And Neil Gaiman said it about Coraline. He said it's okay to show monsters as long as you show that they can be defeated. And I think that's a really important part of children's fiction. And that stretches all the way back to fairy tales. It's presenting kids with something that's challenging and also telling them that they can overcome it. Right. It's something that's very uh, liberating for a child, I think. And especially in this case, you know, Norman's story is about not fitting in and, and being weird, but that very thing is actually what enables him to overcome the obstacles. Yeah, and I guess we must have all as kids just looked, tried to sneak in a quick look at a horror movie or just look, you know, look at something a little bit beyond what we were supposed to look at. Right. Uh, when you're making a movie that takes years, like a lot of these stop-motion movies do, um, curious to find out if they kind of start with an ending in mind or do these things sort of shift along the way? Um, often it changes as you go along. In, in this case, I actually started writing it by writing the ending because um, I knew exactly where we wanted this to go. And obviously you're not going to spoil the ending for everyone. Yeah, okay. um, but yeah, it, I started with that point and, and worked backwards. Um, in terms of where, where we took that ending, it's on the page, but we actually elaborated on it visually, you know, in terms of our yeah. discussions and where we went to it uh, in the movie. We, we really, you know, amped it up as much as we could, and we explored lots of different visual concepts for it, but we knew exactly where we were going. Yeah, which is great and unusual indeed, you know, yeah. But it seems to make sense to actually start with a great ending and then... Yeah, you think it would happen more often. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I wanted to find out where they saw the future of uh, stop-motion animated uh, movies headed. I think it's definitely, uh, it's not a genre, it's a medium, you know, like it can go wider and wider, it can tell any kind of story, and more and more technically it's, it's becoming harder to see what's, how things are done, you know, and it's less important in a way, you know, like, mm. like the acting the acting of an animated character can be as vivid and as emotional and as engaging as a live action actor can do it, and you know. So, yeah, I, I, I just think it's really about the stories, 
that yeah. we can tell that that will just keep pushing out, you know. And then hopefully, I think if the technology can help us make things cheaper, then we can tell even braver, you know, yeah. even braver stories, you know, because they're expensive things to make out of that animated movies, and and so they necessarily need to draw in a sort of massive audience, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny as well, I, I'm, I'm very heartened by what's been happening over the last few years in terms of the different kinds of animated movies that are being made. Because um, when there was that kind of 2D uh, renaissance in the 90s, you know, they hit on a formula that worked for animation, for entertaining families. And it seems like that formula is like, it, it's hard to escape it. Mm-hmm. But I think people are trying. And it, 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 you, the, thing, the unfortunate thing is you recognize the formula now, and that's why so many movies feel the same, animated movies. That's why you, 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 it's, it's very difficult to properly engage uh, kids, I think, because they see through it. They know that like seven minutes in, you're going to have either a chase scene or an emotional scene. You know, it, it, it becomes... It's definitely shaped to them. Yeah. It's definitely shaped in the general tone that they'll go to. They'll go to certain places, mostly it's comedy and, you know... Yeah. You know. But I think audiences are sophisticated enough to, to, to be able to deal with more than that. And, and we've certainly seen it over the last few years, yeah. even in just stop motion alone. So it, it's, very, it's very encouraging to me that that's happening. And, you know, we're doing the same thing. Um, we're actually playing with the formula, we're presenting something where you think you know what's going to happen and, and take it on its head, which has been really a lot of fun to do then. All right, and that is that was uh, my interview with uh, Sam Fell and Chris Butler, uh, the directors and uh, writer of uh, Paranorman. Um, you know, I, I felt like this was just a fantastic interview. Uh, they have two great guys who uh, obviously love what they're doing. Uh, mm-hmm. This is a lot, this is a lot of fun, and uh, and obviously it's a it's a movie that we both liked a lot. Yeah, you know, I, I was really glad to see them being so uh, talkative about stuff. You, you you'd be surprised out there at how many people work years even on a movie, and then when it's time to promote it, they're they're like done with it. They don't even feel like talking about it anymore, and they're not very right. uh, out with it. But these guys were were ready to talk. <laughs> and, and great interview. <coughs> Spike Lee. <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Just kidding. Nah, he's, he's fine. <laughs> Spike Lee's the Next week on Bunch of Critics Live. Tight <laughs> looked in his interviews, but uh, yeah, I, I, we we got him to say a few things, so we'll talk about that later. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, <laughs> but yeah, the Paranorman guys are great, um, and obviously very very chatty. Um, I wish Travis Knight could have been there, the, the lead animator, because he's like he's a laugh riot. He's oh, really? hilarious. To Did talk you meet him out in Comic Con? You said? Uh, yeah, yeah. He's he's a very funny guy. Uh, I wish I could have talked to him as well, but uh, no such luck. Um, anyway, let's move on to the Expendables too. Let's let's get you good and excited here, because I know you want to talk about. <laughs> Probably the best uh, sound effect for the Expendables too. <laughs> I actually didn't know you were going for a sound effect, so I, I went to the, the studio real quick to find that. Um, That's basically all it was for about 90 minutes. Is just a bunch of that going on, uh, which is really, really all we really expected from the Expendables too. Anyway, isn't it? 
yet when I buy Frosted Flakes and I open the box, <laughs> I expect there to be Frosted Flakes inside. Right. Well, that's my big problem. Frosted Flakes. That was my biggest problem with the Expendables, and you know, we we talked mm-hmm. about that movie when it came out. Is I was really disappointed in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I felt like it didn't live up to the hype, and there was a ton of hype, as you would expect a movie of this many that many stars to uh to beat to have. But it, it just didn't live up to expectations. And part of it was Sylvester Stallone's awful direction. He's he's just not a very good director. I have to just put that out there. And yeah. uh, and you know and. And for what it's worth, you know, the the script is is so bad it's not even funny. Like like the script in The Expendables two is terrible, but it's terrible funny. Yeah, it's, it's it was, terrible. It's and it knows it's gonna be terrible. Right, it's designed to be that way. I mean, there's some awful one-liners in this movie, and you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger literally does not do anything but regurgitate catchphrases. And yeah. when he runs when he runs out of his own catchphrases, he steals other people's catchphrases. That's all he that's all he does for the whole movie. Yeah. That's fine. And that's fine. I can you know, I'm okay oh, with that. Fuck. Exactly. You know, Gippy Kaye. He's like, Oh, that's yeah. the first one fine. You know, but uh that's that's okay. If the first movie was even half that clever, I wouldn't have complained about it. Right. Have you <laughs> have you have you even watched the first one since it's been out on a video and everything? Once, once since then, and it's still not good. Me too. Yeah, I even watched. I, I've, I've had the director's cut sitting here for about a year, and I haven't popped it. It's just, it, it, I liked it okay, um, but it, it's 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 only a couple scenes that I, that would make me want to sit down and watch it again. It just didn't right. have that thing that I wanted to watch. This one I, I have on pre-order already, if that's possible, at punchbrothers.com. <laughs> Um, but this time around, we see, if you guys remember the last movie, uh, Bruce Willis plays a guy named Church, who's a CIA operative, uh, hires the Expendables to do a job. Bing, bang, boom, things go bad. They, the Expendables owe him money now. And uh, Sylvester Stallone stole $5 million, Barney Ross, I mean, stole $5 million from him at some point. He comes to collect the debt because sending the Expendables to pick up a, uh, a, a an object in the safe. Um, it, it is the ultimate MacGuffin, people. That's really all it is. It should have just wrote MacGuffin on the side of it because that's yeah. really all it is. It, yeah, it, serves no, it serves no purpose in the movie whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, and it, but but here's the genius of the script. They even bring back like it's obviously a, a throwback to '80s, early '90s action. They even yeah. bring back the enemies from back then. Like they didn't use the actual enemies. But when's the last time you heard about Russia and plutonium and nuclear in a movie plot? They even brought right. that back. I thought that was cool. No. So. That's um, one of the things I love about The Expendables, too. And, and in case you haven't noticed, we're not delving too deep into the plot because the plot is not deep at all. Uh, you pretty much described it in full with just one sentence. But I would also add that The Expendables basically lose one of their own on a mission, and uh, they kind of have to seek revenge. And and, and the the villain is, is a guy named, ironically, Villon. Uh, <laughs> yeah, by, well, we'll talk about that by, in a minute. <laughs> played by John, played by John Clove. Hey, damn, you're idle. Um, yeah. But anyway, that that's basically the plot of it. There's nothing else to it, and I really wouldn't want it to be any deeper than that. Not but at all. One of, the, one of the things I love about the Expendables franchise, or at least the 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 concept of it, is that Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger, and, and this is I'm taking some of this from what they were saying during Comic Con also, but it's obvious it's prevalent in the in the movies as well. Uh, they they're on this mission to really uh, keep alive the 80s genre of action movie. Uh, they know, they've they seen the way action movies are now with really slick special effects and body doubles and, you know, and, and guys like Justin Timberlake who, you know, they're, they're, they're not really, they're not the kind of action hero you and I grew up on. The yeah. Chuck Norris, the, the Stallones, the Schwarzeneggers, the, 
the you know those guys. You know. You want to know how you know that the old old guys. guys were better because Arnold Schwarzenegger played a U.S. military guy with an Austrian accent in every single movie. Nobody questioned why the Austrian was a, a top because it, because it had what you wanted. But we questioned like, wait, well, I don't think Justin Timberlake could kick that big dude's ass. No, yeah, you question that because it's not the same. I wouldn't ever have. I don't think anybody would characterize uh, Bruce Willis or Schwarzenegger or Van Damme or or maybe John Claude Van Damme. I wouldn't. I don't think anybody would characterize these guys as polished up, pretty heroes. No. These are like really gritty, grungy, you know, type of type of type of guys who just who don't say much, just kick ass. That's really all they do. They're man's men. Men's men. Right, they're they're man's men exactly. Well, and Van Damme maybe not. <laughs> he does a lot of uh, splits and tights. So well, well, yeah, Some men. that's why he plays the bad guy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but I love the fact that they're really trying to keep that sort of movie alive, and they bring in all these guys who who kind of fit that mold. Terry Crews fits that mold to me. Love him. If he wanted to go that route, he could play that role perfectly. Randy Couture, if he wanted to go that route, he could do it. Jason Statham is kind of like that guy nowadays. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's one of the few who we could say actually fits that mold. Uh, and I like that they're do- that they're really making a concerted effort to do that. Uh, I think The Expendables 2 is is the best example we've seen from them so far uh, in, in really trying to uh, keep that idea alive. Um, and it's and it's also you know it's it, it really it gives us everything that The Expendables wasn't. Uh, we get all our favorite heroes together. There's this really amazing scene. Even though there's not that much to it, it's just amazing to see it. And I just kind of laughed my ass off when I was watching it. And it's just Stallone, Schwarzenegger, and Willis just standing in a straight line, firing these big-ass guns at John claude Van Damme and Scott Adkins, who's a badass martial artist in his own right. Yeah. And that's really all it is, just three-on-two, firing these big-ass cannons at each other. And I'm like... This yeah. is awesome, even though it's this is there isn't anything like really you know flashy about this scene. You know, it's just kind of a, a steady cam shot. It's just really simple, and it's just these guys firing at each other, and it's still badass. And there's a lot of scenes like that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's on paper that probably was goes in record as the longest scene with one line. Just the three right. main guys shoot <laughs> and, until they can't shoot anymore. And I, I mean, this movie right. was was. And then Chuck Norris, and then Chuck Norris comes in at the end. <laughs> yeah, it makes it makes Chuck Norris. I actually I meant to put to post it on uh, Facebook. I forgot to, but after we got out of the movie, um, I, I we're walking out. And I, I thought up my own Chuck Norris joke just uh, for it because it was bright outside. I said, I said the sun wears Chuck glasses. Um, <laughs> so, but I, I love that they they even brought like they broke the third wall and they were bringing in like Chuck Norris jokes and 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 yeah. the oh, there's, he's, this, he's totally paying up the Chuck Norris uh, internet meme. I mean, he's totally doing that the entire way, and, oh, yeah. and that's what's fun about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, even his entrance, where where he single handedly takes out an army in a tank, um, you know, it, it's 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 all an inside joke to that. And I think that's the amazing thing about Sylvester Stallone. I mean, I, I think a lot of people even forget that he wrote Rocky and won an Oscar for it. Um, you right. know, the guy's not dumb as he appears. Um, it, the, the guy's really good, and, and I, I thought he was like this. I thought he appreciated his fans more than most movie stars of his stature. Ever since he went on to Ain't It Cool News when Expendables One came out and they answered fan questions. You know, I thought that was cool, and and this movie proves that he really cares about what the fans think because he looked He's laughing. And said, yeah, he said he said what, did I, what what was wrong? What did the fans not like about the last movie? Let me fix it. He did that, yeah. and we get what the, the product and is is amazing. The fans answered, uh, "You behind the camera, sir." Yes, is what they it's what they answered. So he stepped out. So to his credit, he stepped away from the camera. I mean, he 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 handed the the reins over to Simon West, 
who knows his way around action movies. He did Con Air, The Mechanic. You know, the mm-hmm. guy knows action movies, and the movie looks better as a result. Um, you know, so those are still, still co-wrote the script, and that's fine. Uh, and he and he gives us a script that, like we like we said uh, a few minutes ago, is far and away superior than the first one was. Uh, yeah. Still not, still not, uh, still not uh, the smartest script in the world. But of course, it's not going to be. No, it's I mean, smart, it's it's smart for what this movie requires. It's 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 perfect for what this movie needs. That's what the script is, and you know, and he does a good job. It's funny to say, but I, I think the script actually could have used. Uh, just a glance over rewrite because there were some parts was where Stallone went overboard. Like I, I, I thought it was funny in the first movie where he named everybody like these funny names, but right. then that's fine if you want to do that because you don't say the names that often. But then he, he goes makes it a point to point out their funny names like Hey, look at my joke, haha. Well, right. any anybody that's watching the movie knows when Van Damme is introduced as Villain that it's just like villain. But um, the thing right. is, at, at the end of the movie. Um, and in the climax, when they're fighting, he just starts yelling, "Come on, Villan! Come, come on, Villan!" Right. And it sounds more like, like he's like, "You guys get it yet? You guys get it yet?" So there's yeah. a couple of things like that. But I mean, all in all, I, it was it was just perfect. I mean, um, I would he, I would say that final fight scene uh, was a little bit lackluster. That was that yeah. would that, be my biggest complaint is that the final fight scene is I, I think it could have used a, a few more minutes and maybe could have gone a little bit more over the top uh, yeah. than it did. That's that's probably my biggest complaint about it. Yeah, but how awesome was Van Damme as a villain? I never thought I'd say this, but I wish he was a villain more. No retreat, no surrender was his last turn as a villain. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I liked him quite a bit. Uh, he seemed to be having a good time. Uh, I thought he did a good job. I, 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 I wish there was a way he could come back. Yeah, I mean, he's got, he's got that perfect Eastern European, like, uh, terrorist look. I mean, there, there's the scene um, where the climax begins. You know, they actually walk through an airport, and I thought to myself, I was like, man, this looks like they shot the scene from Call of Duty, um, you know, that everybody was bitching about a couple of years ago when it came out. And he's just, he's, he's got the swagger, he walks right for it, he, his, his, his movements are right, and he's got that little bit of psychotic dialogue, like, where he's, he's doing stuff and just laughing about it, but he's not over, over the top. You know, I know it's not a surprise to say, but I thought Van Damme was one of the best things in this movie. Right. No, it's not really a surprise to hear that from you. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> going back to what uh, what I was talking about just a few minutes ago with the uh, the kind of you know polished uh, young uh, action stars from today. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think Stallone was trying to make a point with the Liam Hemsworth character, uh, Billy the Kid, without giving anything away? I just want to know your answer to that. Do you think he was making a point with him? Um, I, I'll be honest. I really don't. Even, don't what do you like? What kind of point would it be? I guess I saw that as well, like a father-son type deal, like passing. Well, as in, him. as in, well, I mean, well, kind of hard uh, to, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, do you think he was making? Because I think Liam Hemsworth fits that mold of the of the the modern day hero. I don't think oh, yeah. he fits in with the rest of them at all. And I think anybody would 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 agree to that. So considering well, how things turn out for for Mr. Hemsworth in this movie, uh, do you think Stallone was making a point about the modern day, the young possibly, hero? Po- possibly, but... Um, I think it was. I think it was. I, 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 dis- I disagree a little bit with, with um, Hemsworth not being the mold for uh, the next thing. And like, when he's clean-shaven, even in Hunger, Hunger Games, he, he looks a little boy bandish. But the Hemsworth brothers, um, you know, that could be double impact too right there. Those guys, especially um, Chris Hemsworth... He's got the size even and the look and everything. He's perfect for uh, for the next generation of of, of steroided uh, action heroes. I, 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 no, I, yeah, I can see Chris maybe fitting fitting into this movie more, but Liam not so much. 
I don't see Liam fitting in this movie. I, I, he didn't fit in this movie to me. And like I said, I, I think Stone may have been trying to, to make a point. But, uh, you know, that's something we can discuss more without spoiling too much of the movie we right. discuss well, later. Yeah, I was actually going to say that when I was I was talking down my main points about the movie is that I also liked that things that were going to happen were made obvious, kind of like like you you pretty much know like they, there's so many yeah, uh, red right, flags. Yeah. I mean, yeah. just just think any anybody in any uh, police movie in the '80s that said three days to retirement, <laughs> unless you're Danny Glover, oh, yeah. that's not good for you. Um, oh yeah, it's totally the uh, it's the whole the whole setup where the guy's like, uh, yeah, one one last job, you know, it's, it's yeah. that whole it's that whole thing where you know that's going to end up going to shit. Exactly. You know I mean? It's the whole thing. Stallone does have something for uh, for for young younger snipers though, because if you if you remember Rambo, uh, this the Liam Hemsworth character in this movie was just like Schoolboy from Rambo. You know, he's a <laughs> scout sniper. He looks kind of similar, and he was like uh, the one he watched out for. I guess so. Uh, I really like Yunnan in this movie as uh, Maggie. I thought she was effective uh, and a good female uh, counterpart to uh, Sylvester Stallone's character. Um, you know, I I still wish it was Cynthia Rothrock from China O'Brien. I still wish it was her, and and I still hope that she can figure out a way to be in the Expendables three. Do you remember her? Um, I'm uh, IMDb'ing her right now. Um, let's see. Oh, she well, she she would fit in with the older group. Yeah, no, but she would absolutely fit in with the older group. She's, I mean, she was in action movies for for twenty thirty years. I think she'd be awesome. Yeah, she was undefeated middleweight kickboxing and weapons lady champion for five consecutive years. That's a badass yeah. chick. Go look um, up. If you haven't seen the China O'Brien movies, they are really good. Uh, well, good for 1980s action movies. Uh, they're they're really fun. I would say go watch those. You know, I would I would like to see um, in the next Expendables because uh, there will undoubtedly be a third as long as everybody's still alive. Um, it, it, more, it's in the news section. More more hand to hand, more more uh, martial arts. There really wasn't that much. I mean, what did, did you? What do you think about Jet Li uh, dipping out in the beginning? Like a- after our opening scene, Jet Li leaves and he's like, "Maybe I'll be back. Maybe I won't." Pretty, and that's pretty much my, falls out. Yeah, my my wife, um, it, that was her favorite character from the first one. So she was kind of bitter afterwards when she realized he just didn't come back. <laughs> but uh, I kind of, I kind of, I you know, I kind of expected him to either die or I, actually, I really did expect him to die in the movie because uh, he was the one actor that we didn't hear almost anything about during the production of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, we never saw him in any pictures. Never heard anything about him, and, and kind of now we know why. But uh, but uh, I, I kind of figured him to die in the movie. And when they started talking about Donnie Yen being in the movie for a while there, I was like, oh yeah, Jet Li's dead or something. You know, I was like, he's definitely gone. But but uh, but you know, uh, didn't quite happen. Uh, something else happened instead. So I was a little bit disappointed by that. Uh, I'm, Donnie I'm almost, Yen in this movie. I I see. I, I'd almost be upset if he was in the movie now that I've seen it because he he wouldn't get enough screen time and there's there's just not enough. Point given to uh, you know the martial arts aspect. I, I mean, the shooting guns is awesome if you're huge like Arnold Schwarzenegger or Sylvester Stallone because you're going to look funny trying to do martial arts. But for everybody else, you know, you want to see that hand-to-hand fighting. Right, right. So I'm I'm anxious to see what they do next. Um, the Expendables two for me, I gave it a three and a half out of five. Uh, I can't give it anything higher than that because there are issues with the movie still. It's I, right. I still feel like there's room for improvement. So I don't want to give it too high of a score still, but it hit the hit the notes I wanted it to. Uh, so three and a half out of five for me for the Expendables two. Yeah, this uh, again um, is going to be a 
buyer beware type deal. Um, if you watch the trailer and thought it was ridiculous, you're probably going to think the movie is even more ridiculous. Um, yeah. But if you're like us, this is the Expendables that you wanted to see in the first place. Uh, this this movie gets a four out of five for me. Um, I mean, there there were a couple of things I changed. It's the only reason it's not going higher. Um, but as far as the starting ground, if this, this had been one, we'd been in a great place for the second one. But I think we're in a good place now. Yeah, and, and like I said, we're going to talk more about the Expendables uh, in a few minutes here uh, because this week was really nothing but Stallone and Schwarzenegger news. I mean, there was mm-hmm. nothing but these two guys. Uh, Stallone's trailer for Bullet to the Head came out. Uh, it looks fucking awful. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's trailer for The Last Stand came out, and conversely, it looks amazing. Uh, we got pics from uh, their their upcoming movie together, The Tomb. Mm-hmm. Got pics from that came out this week. These guys and and news on The Expendables three, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, so let me ask yeah. you real quick. Um, yeah. it, it's talking about the uh, The Last Stand trailer with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. It does uh-huh. look amazing. It, it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun, but. At what point do you think people are going to start getting tired of hearing um, the, you know, I need a I'm vacation, old, I'm, I'm old, old jokes? Yeah. Oh, I'm already tired of them. Uh, okay, because like I'm, even, I'm already tired of them. Yeah. Even in, in the Expendables, like like by, by the end of the movie, it's like all right, you know, I, I hope this is where they stop those jokes, you know, right. and just shoot guns. <laughs> I, I totally agree. I think they need to stop reminding us that they're old because eventually people are going to be like, yeah, you are, and they stop going to see their movies. Yeah, so, because it's not uh, like you can't tell from looking at them. It's it's funny once it was funny in the Expendables they kind of touched on it a little bit it, it's fine to do one more time in the Expendables two I don't want to hear it in the Expendables three and I don't want to hear it in all these other movies that they're doing right now I don't want to see that but but it's also it's also there a little bit in uh, in Bullet to the Head too so yeah. I, just, I don't I don't want to see it anymore <laughs> yeah uh, last thing Expendables I know we moved on but I'm going back for one quick second uh-huh. we mentioned Terry Crews I love this yeah. guy man what, oh, yeah. what it, do do we think he's going to at any point stand out? I don't know how he hasn't been uh, a standout role ever since, like, back in White Chicks and, and even before that in Friday After Next. I mean, this dude is always commanding the screen and hilarious, and he's got a physicality that people with that sense of humor just don't have. I think unless he gets a franchise of his own, which hopefully would be an action franchise and not something else, like a comedy franchise, mm-hmm. uh, I think he's right where he needs to be. I think he's right in a spot where he's... If you look at this movie, they really made a point of giving him more to do in this movie than he did mm-hmm. in the first. And that's because Stallone really loves Terry Crews. I mean, he really took to that guy during the production of this movie. And uh, I think if 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 and when there's an Expendables three, you're probably going to see an expanded role for him. Uh, but I don't want to see him do too much because he could get he could wear out really fast. Oh yeah, yeah. Where he is now, where he shows up, he makes every single movie he's in better. No matter what it is, I mean, White Chicks is a fucking horrible movie without him. Uh, so I mean, <laughs> that one rave scene—that's enough for the price of admission, right there. Right, he's great in everything he's in. He makes every movie better, but I don't want to see him, you know, overexposed. I think he's great where he is. Yeah, well, let's hope he gets. Let's hope we can actually finally see our our, our Luke Cage movie, or, or um, you know, with with Iron Fist, and maybe they think about him for it. I don't know. Right. All right, so that's The Expendables 2. Let's run down the box office really quick, because I'm, I'm anxious to get to the news, because there's a lot that happened in just the last couple of days here uh, that I want to run past you. But uh, let's go to the, the uh, box office. And uh, number one is The Expendables 2, which we just talked about, uh, opening at $28.75 million. Uh, that is less than the $35 million of The Expendables. Uh, that's what kind of worried me a little bit, is they increased the budget, and it's about $100 million this time. Uh, increased the the star power, Chuck Norris, John claude Van Damme, more Willis, more Schwarzenegger, and 
at least for now, they got less of a return. Uh, so that kind of worries me a little bit. Um, so we'll see what happens because the last film really raked it in overseas where it made the bulk of its money. So we'll yeah, see well, how it does. I, I see this one having way better legs than the first one did just because of what we said that it is a movie that you wanted to see in the first place. So people uh-huh. might be a little timid at first, but I think I think it will cover up. Yeah, I hope so. Um, number two is The Born Legacy. Uh, it's up to about $70 million after two weeks, which is – which is pretty good. Uh, not as good as the last two movies, but better than The Born Identity, so uh, not bad. Uh, number three is Paranorman, opening at $14 million. Uh, that's about a couple million dollars less than Coraline. Um, so a pretty good movie. Pretty good uh, start, I would say. Uh, number four is The Campaign, uh, up to $51.7 million after two weeks. Uh, number five is Sparkle, a movie we haven't talked about. Uh, musical starring George Sparks and uh, Mike Epps and some other people. Whitney Houston. Uh, solid film, I would say. Better than the uh, 1967 original, but uh, that's not saying much because the original really stinks. Uh, but it's okay. Uh, $12 million opening. Uh, the second highest uh, per site average of the top ten, which is... Uh, you know, uh, very good, and it had uh, the smallest opening out of all of them at like 2,200 theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, number six, The Dark Knight Rises, up to 409 million dollars domestic. It's about 850 worldwide. Uh, seven is The Odd Life of Timothy Green, which I also uh, did not see yet. Did you see that one? I, I didn't, and you know what? This is the first yeah. movie that uh, I was actually requested to go see. Uh, oh. My my sister would call me up. I was like, well, "When are you seeing Timothy Green? I, I really didn't know if it's good for the kids." And of course, that's the one movie I didn't make it to. So, yeah. uh, Julian reviewed it for us and gave it, I believe, a two and a half out of five or something like that. I don't think he was feeling it. Uh, number eight is Hope Springs, uh, thirty-five million dollars after a couple weeks. Number nine, Diary of a Wimpy Kid, Dog Days at thirty-eight million total now after three weeks. And number 10 is the Flopperoonie of Total Recall at $51.8 million after three weeks. Not so good for them. No. All right. But uh, whatever. Yeah. yeah, I agree. There's no, there's really no need to talk anymore about Total Recall. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I thought I'd be more vehement about, about how I liked it and fighting for it, but I really, I, thinking about it, it's, it, it was better than I think a lot of people were giving it credit for, but it's not memorable. It's not, you know, yeah. they could have done it, more. It's not awful. It's just there's just nothing special about it. I mean, right. it's, that, to me, that's worse. I'd rather you you fail miserably than just be a movie that's like, eh. Yeah, because then you're not trying. <laughs> if, you know, if, you, if, if, if you don't fail miserably, you're not trying. Exactly. Um, all right, so let's jump into DVDs uh, really fast too. Um, cool. The, the big movie for me that's coming out this week. There's a couple of them that are that are pretty good, but the big movie for me is Bernie. Uh, this is the movie that starred Jack Black, Shirley MacLaine, and Matthew McConaughey, uh, based on a true story, a really incredible true story uh, of a guy named uh, Bernie who, uh, who who killed his his uh, older uh, benefactor, uh, played by Shirley MacLaine, and just killed her in cold blood. And uh, and the town loved Bernie so much that they just didn't they just didn't really care that he was a murderer. <laughs> they, just didn't, they just didn't really care. You know, the guy gets, gets uh, taken to court. You know, he's tried for murder, and the people wanted to be set free. Which just sounds so ridiculous, but if you live in a small town and and you didn't like yep. the person that died, and you liked the person that didn't, eh, yeah. whatever. It, it's, it's a crazy, it's a crazy story, and uh, you know Jack Black. I think he does his best work with Richard Linklater, uh, who directed this movie. Uh, mm-hmm. They they were together on School of Rock, which I think is my favorite Jack Black performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I mean, it's it's a fantastic film, one of the best performances of the year by him too. Uh, I hope he gets nominated for something, but I know he'll he'll be forgotten. Uh, See, I would have thought that uh, that uh, the Jackal was your favorite 
performance of his because he gets blown to pieces. No, no, no. I, I, I don't like. <laughs> I don't like Jack Black. But I, that, no, that does not qualify. Uh, uh, the also, out. The Dictator. Yep, The Dictator. I like this movie a lot. It's my mm-hmm. favorite uh, Sasha Baron Cohen movie. Yeah. Um, I, I um I, I I thought I'd be really wearing thin. I don't remember the actual score game, but I thought I'd be wearing a lot more thin on on the shtick. Um, but it, but it actually somehow managed to be a little bit fresh, and it, it was a lot less. Um, it, it was a lot less like a like a political debate, and a lot more like a funny movie, which I, I appreciated. It, it really was. Uh, Disney Nature Chimpanzee comes out this week. I, I haven't seen one of these movies in years. I didn't see that one either. <laughs> um, War Games is coming out on Blu-ray. I know you're excited about that. Actually, uh, I never got into War Games. Yeah, I'm never got into it either. Um, a separation comes out on DVD this week too. This is the uh, Academy Award winner for best foreign language film. Uh, mm-hmm. I still haven't seen it, which is kind of amazing. Uh, I just have not had the time, and I have the screener here. Just haven't seen it. Um, but yeah, that comes out on DVD and Blu-ray this week. Yeah, uh, uh, Freelancers comes out. Yes! I was about to. That's what I was going to say next. How the mighty have oh, fallen. Yeah, Robert De Niro now starring in straight to video movies with. Fifty Cent. Yeah, Fifty Cent is the is the straight to DVD king. A lot of people might not realize that, but he is the king. He owns his own production company. He's backing all these these straight to DVD action movies with big names in them because Bruce Willis has been in a handful of these movies with him so far, at least two or three. And he's got De Niro in this one. I mean, the guy is pulling in these people, and he's making bank off these movies. He must be a likable person, like in real life, like the actual. Curtis Jackson, because uh, you got Robert De Niro, who obviously likes the guys. He's been in two or three movies with him, and you don't do that if you don't like the person. And right. uh, like like the other names, you said you don't pull those people unless you know you're a likable person, because right. it's not I, the script bringing them. Right. No, I agree. I, I think these people just see uh, dollar signs. I, I, being being rich and being and being worth a lot of money makes a lot of people like you. Um, uh, Virginia, I remember that every time I drink vitamin water. Another movie that comes out on DVD this week that a lot of people don't know about is uh, a movie called Virginia. Uh, stars uh, Jennifer Connelly on Ed Harris, and it's directed, uh, written and directed by uh, Dustin Lance Black, uh, who did Milk and uh, and also did J. Edgar and some other stuff. Uh, so uh, I was uh, really interested in seeing this movie. It didn't come out here in DC, so I haven't had a chance. But I'm anxious to see it now. Yeah, I, I would just like to point out also that that uh, I did was a little bit late. That was not for Ed Harris. <laughs> that was for Jennifer Connelly. I just, just want to make clear. sure. Are you, still, are, you still, are you still imagining her like on the on the horse in Career Opportunities? Is that? Oh no, no, no. I I'm Labyrinth all all day long. Okay. Right, Labyrinth is, is is where and, and maybe Rocketeer. I always wanted to be the Rocketeer. So, um, Rocketeer in movies. Seven Minutes in Heaven is pretty good. Seven Minutes in Heaven is pretty good. I, you know, I haven't seen a lot of her movies as much as I like her. That's strange. Um, but a, a Disney Blu-ray week, we got Pocahontas, Pocahontas Two, Rescuers, Rescuers Two, and the Aristocats all coming out. Um, yep. We also have uh, Halloween Four and Five hitting Blu-ray for the first time. Stephen King's Thinner, which is kind of a cult movie, I guess you'd say. I yeah, mean, definitely. Well, everybody knows what it is. Um, and that's about it. That's everything I see. Mall Rats on Blu-ray comes out uh, this week, and you know how much it is? Thirty-five bucks. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Kevin Smith lost his fucking mind. Um, 35 bucks for mall rats on Blu-ray. There's nobody on the planet who loves mall rats more than me. I won't pay a third of that for that no. movie on Blu-ray. Well, so the thing is, like Blu-ray, and 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 I, I'm guilty of this myself. I, I I think Blu-ray is some kind of magical medium that I have to buy all my movies new in. But a Kevin Smith movie, I mean, the dude self-confesses he's a horrible director, um, right. and, and it's not like he used high-quality uh, cameras for the first couple movies. So all you're gonna get right. with higher resolution is a shittier picture. Right. <laughs> 
I totally agree. Uh, I, I don't see the point in doing something like that, uh, buying a bunch of Kevin Smith movies on Blu-ray. I don't think I have any Kevin Smith movies on Blu-ray now that I think about it. I have none. Um, uh, ooh, I, I might have Jane Silent Bob Strike Back because I really like that movie. But I, do, um, I don't think I have that on Blu-ray either. I don't think I've ever gone back to, to Upgrade, and I don't think I ever will. <laughs> cop out. I do have cop out. Kevin Smith's best best Why movie. You, I'm just kidding. Own? I don't really have it. I was about to say, what the hell? <laughs> all right, uh, let's. All right, let's, let's, hit news. let's hit news. Uh, DVDs. I mean, not DVDs, but trailers for this week. A lot of trailers came out uh, this week. Uh, a new Red Band for the Man with the Iron Fists. Uh, Riz's new movie. Yeah. Uh, this one's even more violent than the previous ones were. Uh, a, a trailer for Tai Chi Zero, which is a movie that I got really hyped over last week. Um, and it's been produced by Jet Li, and it's another martial arts movie. It's a two-parter. Uh, the second one's already done. Uh, it looks just incredible. And it comes out, I think, next month. Um, a new trailer for End of Watch with Jake Gyllenhaal, Michael Pena. Uh, Michael Bean's directorial debut with The Victim. That trailer's up on the site. Uh, you're a big fan of Michael Bean, so I'm sure you'll be looking forward to that. I think everybody in the world should be. I mean, the dude was in pretty much every Temple movie of the 80s, but he never got the respect he, he deserved. He was. No respect. And, and, and I call it his directorial debut. The, the, the fact is, he did a, he directed another movie a few years ago, uh, and he the, the studio took it over and edited it so much that he took his name off it. Uh, so this is really his second directorial effort, but it's the only one he acknowledges as his debut. So... I give him that 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 credit. He wants to be he wants this to be his directorial debut. Then I'm going to go along with him. Word. Um, um I, I I gotta ask you something. Yeah. T- tell me about Guardians of the Galaxy real quick. I've missed a lot of the news on this. Okay. Um, what, what what what's going on with this? this? Is a Marvel Comics movie, right? Yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy is is indeed a, a Marvel Comics movie. Uh, it's coming out on August first, 2014. And uh, anyone who's been reading my kind of Phase Two timelines that I've been doing uh, for Marvel. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy are obviously a spacefaring team. They're kind of a quirky team. They're they're, they're out of out of step with the rest of the Marvel Universe if you read the comics. Um, but they have a lot of really close ties to Thanos, who is the big bad villain that's coming up in the Avengers two and whatever else that Marvel's going to be doing. Uh, they have a lot of close ties to him. Um, but Marvel announced that film officially at Comic Con. We already knew it was coming, but they announced it officially at Comic Con, and uh, just. Uh, a day or two ago, um, they released their short list of contenders to direct the film. And the guy at the, t- at the head of the pack is uh, this guy named James Gunn. Uh, and James Gunn... Used to be uh, a porn. No. <laughs> that name, could, you could with that name. Let's, let's he, could be. he could be. <laughs> uh, he directed uh, the movie, that, uh, that kind of uh, kick-ass type movie called Super, with Rain Wilson and Ellen Page. He directed that movie. Uh, also directed Slither. Uh, you remember that movie? With oh, I love Slither, yeah. Yeah, he directed Slither. Uh, but the movie, I think, that got him, that put that puts him at the head of the pack, uh, this movie he did in 2000 called The Specials, which was this, it was kind of like, it, it basically centered on this X-Men type team. Uh, it, was, it was a comedy. It was one of the first superhero comedy movies that I remember. And it had like Rob Lowe and Thomas Hayden Church and... Uh, Paget Brewster and J- Judy Greer, just really weird lineup of people. Jamie Kennedy, uh, <laughs> Melissa Joan Hart. It was just really strange. Wow, and that is a the, weird lineup. Right, and that's not even half of it. And uh, but I think that's probably what got him, you know, as the front runner for Guardians of the Galaxy because there's, they're, like I said, they're this really weird sort of uh, assemblage of, assemblage of superheroes. I mean, you have a uh, Rocket Raccoon, who's a, a, a talking raccoon. You have a uh, you have Groot, who's a a, a a tree a tree creature 
for another planet. You have a uh, all these just this weird group of characters. Kind of reminds me of Mystery Men a little bit. Looking at it, it, it it's going to be it's going to be comical. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, it's going to be a comical uh, sort of film. So I think that's the reason why he's the guy who's leading the pack. But the other names on the list who are still very much in contention uh, that we've heard are Peyton Reed, who uh, directed Bring It On, mm-hmm. and the combination of Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck, who did Half Nelson with uh, Ryan Gosling, and also It's Kind of a Funny Story. Um, so, Lots of different tone of directors there. No kidding. I, I wrote that in my write-up on it. I was like, that's a really weird group of directors because they're yeah. all very, very different. Um so yes, yeah, so that's Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm 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 perhaps looking forward to that movie more than any other uh, right now. So on the Marvel more on the Marvel side of things. Uh, and while we're talking Marvel, uh, I might as well jump into all this Marvel stuff all at once here. Uh, the Avengers two has been announced. Uh, it's going to be coming out on May first, twenty fifteen. Uh, so that kind of fits in line with the way Marvel does things. They usually do two movies per year. Uh, next year we've got Iron Man, Iron Man three, and uh, and Thor: The Dark World. Um, Twenty fourteen we'll have uh, we'll have Guardians of the Galaxy and uh, Captain America: The Winter Soldier. And in twenty fifteen, yeah. and in twenty fifteen we'll have the Avengers two and probably Ant Man. So that kind of fits how things are fits the Marvel pattern. I I think Ant Man is probably one of my most anticipated. Just because I want to know how the hell they're going to do this movie. If the, I wish they would release the video they showed at Comic Con, the uh, the test video, the concept footage that uh, Edgar Wright shot. It looks incredible. Really? Yeah, it looks incredible, and it, it, the scene is basically just it's it's really raw. Like it's just it's like I said, it's just concept footage, but it's really raw. It, it basically it shows the ant, guy in the Ant Man suit racing down the hallway uh, towards these two agents who are trying to defeat him, and he he just basically shrinks and grows whatever he needs to do to kick their ass. Like he runs across their gun and grows and kicks a guy in the face and it's just it's really just it's like fast paced and kinetic action and it's just like wow that's the way Ant Man's going to be this is going to be awesome. Okay, that actually because whenever I think of Hank Pym, all I think of is bitching. Um, so that actually sounds really cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know why he bitch? It's awesome. <laughs> it's not that he's a whiny bitch. Hank Pym has a lot of issues. More yeah. issues than almost any other Avenger out there. He's got more issues than that. And the guy's a white beater. So, <laughs> I mean, the guy has issues. Yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? But uh, while we're talking about Hank Pym, uh, there was a funny rumor that came out earlier, this, just a couple of days ago. Um, Vin Diesel had changed his Facebook profile to a picture of Vision, uh, you know, the android member of the Avengers uh, that we haven't seen in the movie yet. He changed his profile picture to Vision, and the fucking internet went crazy thinking that meant he was going to be playing Vision in the Avengers sequel. <laughs> and there's no evidence of that at all. It's <laughs> just he likes Vision. You know yeah. what I mean? He changed it like the, like the same day. He changed it back after this this whole thing exploded. But it was just kind of funny that people were blowing up over that. And I mean, I, I personally think Vision will show up eventually, but it's not going to be revealed in a freaking Facebook profile edit. See, this is why I'm not a celebrity because <laughs> I, I would forget about doing movies just so I could mess with people's heads all day. I just start putting up pictures like I oh, yeah. internet, people want like you know fanboys were like oh okay did he need to make this movie and then I'd make that my profile picture and just see what happens. No, I, I totally agree. I would do the same. I'd fuck with people all the time. Mm. Um, all right, uh, more Marvel stuff. Uh, I'm sorry. More the, importantly, who was checking Vin Diesel's Facebook page? <laughs> I, I check his Facebook page all the time, actually. Really? Because he yeah, because he he puts up a lot. He's one of the most uh, easily accessible celebrities out there. 
I mean, that easily, we talked about how Sylvester Stallone is with his fans, and Vin Diesel's the same. Uh, he's always on Facebook, Twitter, talking to his fans and updating them on his projects. And he's been up, he puts up a lot of stuff about uh, the upcoming Riddick movie and, and stuff like that. A lot of the photos I got for the Riddick movie came directly from his Facebook page. I guess I was just so, assuming that, that any kind of celebrity stuff is going to be on Twitter. Like, that's the preferred, you know, uh, method of, of communicating with um, fans. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I've never actually looked at celebrities' Facebook pages. Yeah, a lot of them, uh, a lot of them update them both. But uh, photo-wise, you get a lot of them on Facebook and stuff, too. But Vintage was very good at that sort of thing. Hmm. Um, all right, more Marvel stuff. Uh, this I just put up a couple hours ago. Um, Anna Kendrick, uh, Imogen Poots, and Felicity Jones are circling one of the roles in Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Um, the The report comes from page six from the New York Post, which I, I loathe that, that page. But... Hmm. Uh, but if it's they did they didn't go in to say what role they were they were vying for, but they say it's the female lead. And if it's the female lead, then it's probably going to be Sharon Carter, who is the the uh, niece of Peggy Carter, who was played by Haley Atwell in the first Captain America movie. Um, the so, girl he never got to dance with. Right. So if it's Sharon Carter, Sharon Carter is like the most important female in Captain America's life, basically in the modern times. Uh, she's a, a shield agent, at least in the comics. She's a shield agent, uh, codenamed Agent Thirteen. She's really, she's just as, as high up there as almost anybody in the shield uh, shield ladder. Um, mm-hmm. And she has, she's a major figure in the Winter Soldier storyline. Uh, the Winter Soldier is basically uh, a grown-up version of Bucky, uh, Captain America's sidekick, uh, who was turned evil. He's basically he survives. Uh, his his supposed death, and he becomes this agent for Russia, um, and she's a big part of that storyline. So I'm assuming she the the role is for Sharon Carter. Uh, out of those three, I like Anna Kendrick, but I like Anna Kendrick and everything. Yeah, I mean <laughs> that's, that's kind of a so, gimme. <laughs> yeah, I mean I like I think I like all three of these actors. I think they're all great, but uh, I really love Anna Kendrick. Now, the problem is I think. Sharon Carter is going to have a lot of action, a lot of action scenes. If not in this movie, then in future Captain America movies. Uh, and I've never seen Anna Kendrick do that sort of thing before. So yeah, she, she uh, seems more like a girly girl. But I again, I haven't seen her in anything, so I can't say. Right. But that doesn't right. seem her style. Right. And our friend Rocky, uh, she suggested that Felicity Jones be a better pick, and I can almost agree with her. I think Felicity Jones, even though she has a very soft uh, outer, you know, visage. I think she looks like she could be... I could buy her as a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent mm-hmm. almost more than I could buy Anna Kendrick. Right. We'll yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I mean, Anna Kendrick just... She seems like the sweet girl next door. She doesn't seem like a, a, a government-trained assassin killer. But I got I got yelled at for suggesting Jessica Biel. So, <laughs> because I think Jessica Biel would be perfect. I, I mean, saw that, yeah. She's, she's, she's hot. She's athletic. She could play the role. She could kick ass. She could... You know, handle a spin-off if they want to do something like that. So yeah. Rocky does have an special uh, a special hate for Jessica Biel <laughs> she, for some reason. She has a special hate for a lot of women. Um, <laughs> all right, uh, another bit of Marvel news. This is like an all Marvel day here. Um, the Daredevil film rights are going to revert back to Marvel. Uh, we talked about this last week, I believe. That Daredevil, uh, uh, Sony was, um, or was it, no, Fox was really trying to get on the ball and get that Daredevil film going because the film rights are going to expire in October. Mm-hmm. Um, and they ran into issues because um, 
David Slade had dropped out. He was going to do it uh, up until just a couple months ago. Uh, and they had Joe Carnahan. He, he emerged at the last second as uh, somebody who was up for the job. And apparently Fox rejected it. Uh, they were rejecting his proposal. Really? Yeah, uh, we actually had the, the, the video that he pitched to them for his take on Daredevil. And it, to me, it looks awesome. Um, but they rejected it. And the news came out not long after that that uh, the rights are going to revert back to Marvel. So we're going to be seeing the Man Without Fear back in the Marvel Universe. And who knows what they're going to do with him. I mean, I, I don't think they're going to put him in the Avengers right away or anything like that. Um, they're probably going to sit on him for a few years, the way they, they're doing The Punisher right now and Blade. But uh, they can, if they see a role for him, you can damn well better believe they're going to use him. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think... Marvel characters tend to glue together a lot better. I mean, because their universe is written a lot more cohesively than DC is. But I, there are certain uh, heroes that, even though in the comics they might work well together, like Spider-Man and Punisher. You know, that was how Punisher got intro. But um, I, I don't. I, for film, I think that they should keep. They don't have to include everybody in the Avengers just because they're from the Marvel universe. Right. I agree. No, I totally agree with you on that. Uh, in fact, I think I, we mentioned the last week. We talked about it last week how I would love to see them just do a total. You know, show a total a different corner of the Marvel universe. You know, the, mm-hmm. the, the gritty street level heroes, the Punisher, Daredevil, Blade, all those guys, and they don't have to be part of the Avengers. You know what I mean? Just, right. just have them off doing their own thing. They're going to get some of the runoff from the Avengers anyway in terms of box office because everybody wants to see a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie right now. So yeah. it's like, just, I mean, you don't, you don't have to have you don't have to tie them into the Avengers every time every time you do a movie. But I would love to see that corner of the universe explored a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I get that they want to keep it together, and they can do that without including them in the movie. Like, just have right. Punisher down in the sewers, uh, and he sees on the TV, you know, Spider-Man uh, saves child from burning building, and he just says to himself, like, stupid freak, or something like that. Um, right. You know, and, and that's enough. I mean, that, that lets you know it's, it's, it's solid evidence they're in the same universe, and past that, you don't need to go any further. Right. I totally agree. Um, so that's it with the, all the Marvel news. The last bit of news I had that I just wanted to throw out there really fast um, was that uh, Samuel L. Jackson is going to be a part of Spike Lee's remake of Old Boy. Uh, I think we're both fans of Old Boy, the South yeah. Korean film, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, directed by Park Chan-wook. Well, Spike Lee's remake is happening. Uh, we've known that for a while. Uh, Josh Brolin in the lead. Uh, Charlotte Copley as the villain. Uh, Elizabeth Olsen uh, is also in there. And now Samuel L. Jackson is going to be in there. Uh, and I, I don't want to give away his role, but I, I'll just go ahead and say that he plays a guy that the that the the hero tortures. Uh, now, if you remember the original okay. movie, yeah, yeah. If you remember the original movie that that role. I mean, that scene is is kind of pivotal and and uh, and kind of unforgettable. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, it is, it is uh, actually you know unforgettable. The role. <laughs> you know the role. Is, yeah, I mean, I, I think I mixed I mixed the characters together in that movie because movie, before you said that, I was sitting here thinking to myself, that's a lot of big names for a movie that I don't remember. You know, there weren't too many main characters, um, but but yeah, there there. I, I guess I just must, must have mushed some of the characters together because it's been a couple of years since I've seen it. But yeah, I could definitely see that that uh, being Samuel Jackson. Right. So uh, so he's going to be part of that movie. Uh, filming begins in October, uh, and that's kind of something that Spike Lee broke uh, on Friday when when we spoke to him. Uh, that the movie will start shooting in October. Uh, we had been hearing that it would start shooting in the fall at some point, but nobody knew exactly when. But he says October is the date, so uh, we can start looking looking for some production shots from that in the next 
couple months. So I'm excited nice. for that. I'm interested to see how, how, how Spike Lee makes it look. Me too. Me too. Um, so that's really it for news. Um, I think that's pretty much it for the week. You want, you want to do the rundown for next week's show? Um, <laughs> I wish you had one more news story because I forgot I closed my window by accident. So uh, I don't know what's coming out next week. Um, well, I, I got everything on here. Um, all right, so next week's show is it's going to be really busy. We might have to do an expanded show, folks. Uh, we got two interviews for next week. Uh, Spike Lee uh, talking about uh, Red Hook Summer, uh, and we'll also review that movie. It hits DC next weekend. Uh, Compliance, which is the controversial and very unsettling new film from Craig Zobel. Uh, I want everybody to go see that movie. My review is up now because it's up. It's out nationally, but it comes out in DC next week. Check that movie out. We'll be talking about it then. Uh, we also have an interview with Craig Zobel that will air next week, too. Uh, and also, Premium Rush comes out next week with Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Michael Shannon. We want to talk about that. And Cosmopolis comes out next week, too, with Robert Pattinson. And I think we're both going to want to talk about that, too. Yeah, we can. Uh, we can. I mean, Hit and Run and The Apparition also come out, but we can probably skip those. Uh, you guys can always check out the site, yeah. com to get your reviews for that. Um the apparition. Uh, let's just put it this way: it's a possession movie, and it says based on a true story in the beginning. I don't think you need to know much else. Um, but uh, it <laughs> that's the one with Ashley Green, Shepard. right? That's the, the apparition is one with Ashley Green, right? I, I, that's I don't one with Ashley Green was... and, and Tom Felton and uh, oh, and, oh, and, no, no, and no, Sebastian no, no. Stan. Was it? Because I, I, I thought the apparition that was the one with Jeffrey Dean Morgan, and the uh, ghost was the the Jewish demon. I'm getting. All of them. The Sam Raimi one? I know. They're, they're, I'm getting, I'm getting like the horrible. Awakening, the Awakening, the Apparition. Okay, the Apparition is the one with Ashley Green, Sebastian Stan, and Tom Felton. Oh, this okay. one looks horrible. You know, no, we're, we're not we're not wasting time with that. No, hey, no, we're not. Tell you what, folks. If you want to see this movie, just do me a favor. Go watch the trailer on our site first, punchdrunkcritics.com. <laughs> and, and, well, we and just gave all passes see. to it the other day, so. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. You know, they're, they're not all winners, folks. Um, but Julian will be doing the review of that movie, by the way, not me. Uh, Julian has been assigned the apparition, so he can have fun with that one. <laughs> see, man, this is, I, I wouldn't have said that if I knew we were giving But I'm, I'm mixing all these damn movies up now. I, I remember I'm watching not, the trailer for this. It was up. horrible looking. Yeah, I got them all mixed up too, so I don't don't feel bad. Yeah. I can't keep. Right. Oh, there was one news thing I I wanted to uh, bring up real quick. Yeah, Joy Joy Bryant. Why yes. haven't I heard of her before? I mean, you're, yeah. the pictures you put up, we, we all know how those go. They're they're always the best <laughs> of the crop, but there's no way this chicken cannot look this good anywhere else. Wow. She's in Hit and Run, by the way. Well, maybe we'll, I will see that. <laughs> No, Joy Bryant is is really hot, and I wrote because uh, the senior the thing you're talking about is she's she's going to be the female lead in the uh, About Last Night remake remake um, with Kevin Hart, Michael Ealy, and Regina Hall, which is basically like a Think Like a Man uh, <laughs> a reunion. Right. Um, but, but she's going to be She's going to be the female lead in that film, uh, taking on the Demi Moore role. Uh, if you remember the 1986 film, mm-hmm. um, but but yeah, uh, I, I wrote in there that that. She kind of fell behind because she was in that same time period as Sanaa Lathan and Kerry Washington, and you know, and and those two kind of kept going, and Joy Bryant kind of fell off, mm-hmm. you know. And she's kind of making a comeback now. Like I said, she's in a Hit and Run, she's on the NBC series Parenthood, and, and now she's got this role in About Last Night. So I'm glad to see her doing more stuff again. And I yes, do know her, but I don't. I don't want to admit where I know her from. Uh-oh, where do you know from? Now you have to say it. She was Jessica Alba's friend in Honey, and also from yes, London. She was. 
That's right. Okay. Well, I know I don't mind embarrassed about that. That was that was the Jessica Alba breakthrough movie. Yeah. No, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think that's all I had. Um, so packed show next week. Uh, like Travis said, we'll probably yeah. go uh, maybe even two hours. So um, yeah, sit, get a drink so. before you sit down and listen to us. But make sure you sit down and listen to us. Make sure to sit down and read us every day at punchdrunkcritics.com. If any DVDs, movies, really any electronic you want, um, you can get through punchdrunkcritics.com for no additional cost. Just click on shop at punchdrunkcritics.com in the upper right-hand corner. Alrighty. So yeah, I, I, need, that- I need to stop smoking if I'm going to do these long, uh, long, long speaking spells. <laughs> <laughs> But we will see you next week, folks. Um, real quick, run down the contact. PunchdownCritics at gmail.com. PunchdownCritics at yahoo.com. Tra- on Twitter, Travis is at PunchyCritic. I am at PunchdrunkJohn. On Facebook, search for PunchdrunkCritics. And we are the first ones you will see. I think that's everything. All righty. Let's get out of here. We are out. Thanks, Later. guys. See ya. We came. We saw. We kicked its ass. That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. I'm not great at farewell, so... Uh... That'll do, pig. That's the worst goodbye I've ever heard. And you stole it from a movie. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.